welcome to the Niche Podcast about the one thing that I know something about game shows, I suppose. I'm your host, Jordan Haas, part eight, Game Show Network Originals. God, why did I agree to cover all of these? Well, truthfully, it's because uh, when I finished game shows, I suppose, I realized there's a lot of game shows I have yet to cover. And I wanted to make sure I covered as many as I can, but unfortunately, a lot of these shows are very blah or boring, and I don't really have that much time to really speak about these because I don't really fondly care about them enough to warrant 30 minutes to an hour on one specific show. So when you're trying to do something like this, you know, it's about five to 10 minutes each. So then you can put maybe two, three, or four game shows all at once, and that stretches out to maybe 40 minutes, which is about an average episode of game shows, I suppose. So they were good. Hey! We got it. I've I've lost my mind. Partially because of watching these Game Show Network originals. Uh, so today's Game Show Network originals are a very eclectic mix of shows. Mostly the ones that are like, I don't remember them. And so we're going to be talking about that today. Starting with a short-lived reality show that you vaguely don't even remember, and if you did, you're a fucking liar. This is Steampunked. Steampunked is a reality show. It's based on steampunk fashion. You know, steampunk, with all the gears and, and gadgets is kind of influenced by science fiction and Victorian era and Wild West, H.G. Wells's kind of stuff, or Jules Verne, where there's floating... Victorian mansions in space and, and rocket ships. Well, Steampunk is essentially a show that was uh, on for one season and eight episodes, and it was based on the exciting world of Steampunk. In each episode, it could, there's a little challenge based on the exciting world of Steampunk, such as make a, like a, make a Steampunk house, make a Steampunk costume, Etc. Etc. It was presented by Jeannie May before being on Holy Moly, and it is actually considered one of the more underground kind of shows, because Steampunk was at the time 2015 getting into that groove, and this would be paired. What I would I would compare this show to what would be like the cosplay melee show on sci-fi. It, it's that nerdy sort of thing that they try to create. So it has this little community online of like Tumblr or uh, fashion vlogs or Pinterest. And it just never really caught on after one season. And I don't know if it's just because of just the way it was fashioned or the challenges, but it, it happens. And the funny part is, I only watched two episodes, so there's really nothing left to discuss. Um, that's kind of why I never really wanted to do a, a, a whole every episode of Steampunked. Uh, also, it's a play on Punked, the reality prank show, which I think everyone has fucking figured out by now. Uh... Of course, Steampunked is, is... I actually want to say one more thing about Steampunk and then we're done here is G-May is a great host. The contestants were all lovely. It was a classic kind of let's do a competition series based on something. So like, there's your baking shows and all that. And this was just Steampunk fashion. 
to me, this isn't really the kind of genre stuff I really want to talk about, even though it's classic game show. Each week there's a challenge and there's judges and someone gets the best in show and someone gets the worst and they're eliminated or there's two weak ones and then there's elimination challenge. It's a straightforward kind of challenge. Who can please the judges is the name of the game. Um, unfortunately, there's also it's also the most dull kind of format to talk about on this podcast. So, hey, it's that show, that kind of uh, ne- like project runway, but instead of runway fashion, it's hot gluing gears onto hats. That's the show. Wow, thanks, Jordan. I sure learned a lot about steampunk. See, it's called steampunk, like the like the prank show, punked, or like bunked. There was a whole time period where everyone's trying to do an unked. It was very, very different. Anyway, uh, if you love MTV, then you are familiar with Joey Fatone, and therefore you might be familiar with this next game show. We talked about it in a brief detail on game shows, I suppose, a few, few, few years back. But just to refresh your memory, here is Common Knowledge. Common Knowledge was one of the first game shows I've ever reviewed on game shows, I suppose. So this is going to basically be me repeating myself from a while back. Hosted by Joey Fatone of InSync, it sees two teams of three players, basically related to some sort of commonality, uh, answer multiple choice questions to try and win $10,000. <clears> Essentially, the the game is supposed to be about the more your team agrees on an answer, the more points you can get. But like every GSN show, it's just sort of... Eh. So, uh, the, the, the gimmick of common knowledge is the questions aren't really trivia. It's not really like a... Uh, who... What U.S. president discovered this or what sort of like what you what what movie star uh, played Captain America? It's not really trivia like that because Chris Evans, you were in a GSN promo once. Uh, no, no, it is basically kind of what quote unquote is common knowledge as in like sort of household hints or kind of the kind of clever kind of QI knowledge that would be very fun. Like uh, which of these fluids can clean up if, if you like if you put a Sharpie on a floor, it is recommended you put which of these liquids on there, bleach, lemon juice or uh, alcohol, rubbing alcohol. And that would, and then that's your multiple choice, and then they would buzz in, and that's the answer. It's it's very fun. So there's a few. So each team gets two questions, uh, and there's a category of four, I believe. So uh, they can't confer with each other, but for each one that they lock in correctly. So if one picks A and two pick B, if it's A, it's ten points. If it's B. It's 20 points because two people picked B. Now, if everybody is unanimous on their decision and all unanimously pick the correct answer, B, 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 and the correct answer is B, then it's 30 points because three people plus a unanimous makes a 50 point. Uh, and then we go to the other team. They get a question. Then we go back and forth. So there's four questions in round one. 160 points up for grabs in total. Round two... 
Bullshit double round. You already know how this works. We don't really need to, to continue with with how Game Show Network does their things. Values are double round. Three is the bullshit catch up round, as is the case with most GSN shows. With this time around, they get to confer and write down an answer. There is no multiple choice. However, once a contest, once a team gives an answer, that's it. If they are right, they score 200 points in the first question and 400 points in round in the second question. However, and this is the other thing, the opponents can steal the points if they are wrong this time, which means in a big bullshit catch-up, they could take the 200 points or 400 points. And if the team is impossible to catch up, the game ends immediately. Uh, which leads to, of course, you know what the winners get. GSN's grand prize of $1,000 with a chance at 10000 because it's GSN, and that's what they always do. 1000 playing for 10000 Did I mention the show lasted three seasons yet? I I'll explain probably why later. In the final round, there is more common knowledge questions with three possible choices. But now a player can't confer with their teammates, and they must keep answering questions correctly. If they are right, they continue through the board. If they are wrong, they are out of the game. And the next player continues. If they don't know, at one point they can pass, and they'll, go to the, they'll answer a new question without a penalty. However, if you can answer seven questions before getting three wrong, you win $10,000. I should now uh, answer this fun part. What makes common knowledge very fun is the fact that this is basically every standard GSN show complete with the get something right and you win 10,000. But it's not with a time limit, which I always thought it was, which actually is a little bit fun. What I like about common knowledge was the fact that the questions were a little clever and Joey Fatone is still a very good game show host. I think people really forget that Joey Fatone kind of is a game show nerd when it came to things like the singing bee or when it came to being the announcer for Family Feud. He really kind of enjoys the whole game show experience and talking to players. And it actually is a very clever quiz kind of show. It, it's the perfect show to put along with America Says, which we've already talked about, that's why it's not in here, that is perfect for the what is a stereotypical GSN show. It's the single round, the double round, the bullshit catch-up, and the final where you can get $10,000. But with the case of common knowledge, the questions were very fun. Like, which of these items was never found in the Library of Congress? And it's, it has some lateral thinking sometimes, which makes it a very fun little show. Uh, unfortunately, it's a very dull quiz show as well. But the other thing I will say about Common Knowledge, because there's really nothing left to talk about other than uh, the set, I guess, is the dressing and the, the look of it is beautiful. I would say if all of the GSN shows... Common Knowledge has one of the coolest, swankiest sets. It looks like a bunch of diamonds, like it's a swanky 1970s or 60s game show. 
and the diamonds all display little screens that show the answers that contestants have written down. And every category has its own logo, which is a good throwback to the days of like the Joker's Wild. So for me, it's it's such a good little throwback uh, to classic game shows. And the scoring mechanic, as bullshit as it is, because it's basically 10, 20, or 80, it still makes for an interesting quiz. And is one that's really not one to sneeze at. The only problem besides that is that common knowledge is really rare to find. When I wanted to watch common knowledge, I, there's only clips on YouTube, but it is currently on Game Show Channel, uh, currently, which is the fast TV channel thing of Game Show Network. Uh, and Game Show Central has episodes of common knowledge and it was fun to sit through. I, I, I think of all of these current shows, it is one that is a little dull, a little dry, a little boring, but still a very interesting play along factor nonetheless. Um, if you like the color blue and you like diamond shapes, you would enjoy common knowledge. In addition to that, you will get to hear the question about how um, bubble wrap was invented as a wallpaper for the hundredth time. Just because those are the really fun kind of questions you get to know about. Anyway, that's common knowledge. Truthfully, we never will get a QI, so it's good that there's a common misconception game show out there, which makes it very fun. Uh, but this next thing is going to be a little different than what we've been doing for the last few episodes, because I think it's about time we talk about the holy grail of GSN Originals, and that was its interactive television. This next part of the show is, um, it's three game shows in one act, because I really never got into this game show that much, and unfortunately, there isn't that many uh, discussions talking about it. Uh, so, we're going to be talking about GSN's early, early game shows. This is probably the first of the Game Show Network originals. Of course, they had GSN Live like for the longest time in the play cafe kind of things. But for me, what I always remember when it came to it was uh, Super Decades and Trivia Track and when did that happen? Uh, these were all three game shows that uh, existed on Game Show Network back in the 90s. So... What Game Show Network used to do at its launch, as in the very beginning of the Game Show Network years, was while they were doing Game Show Network reruns, the Game Show repeats of like Match Game and, Press, or, and Price is Right and all your favorites, they had these little interstitial kind of like a precursor to play mania kind of things where you would call a number and you would play a game show with a host to win like a little $100 gift card or a prize package, or a Game Show Network t-shirt. It was all these little cute games, and it was all played essentially uh, to try and get more people to watch and be more interactive. Because at the time, the major poll that they were trying to aim for of game shows is exactly the kind of thing I've been pushing on game shows, I suppose. Game shows are, a game, are the best when you play along, when you're yelling at the TV, when you're answering the questions... And whoever was at the time at Game Show Network, which I'm guessing is Bob Bowden, 
said, why don't we try and use that, incorporate that into the network branding? And so there was a lot of these play at home, call and win kind of games. Now, the ones that I remember were <clears throat> Super Decades, Trivia Track, and When Did That Happen? Uh, all of these had a wonderful set because this was a time when Game Show Network was still very cheap. But, I mean, like, really cheap. These were all filmed on a green screen. That's that's the show. Uh, so it's essentially a, a weird game show. Uh, they had a green screen. There's a desk sometimes, or they're just standing by. And we're waiting for our call. Hello, caller. And then they start playing. And then they start playing these trivia games. So most of the time... These games were played with two players. Um, on Super Decades, they uh, had two contestants, 30 seconds to answer questions based on photos that aired on the screen. Uh, each answer was a decade. Is this the 60s, the 70s, or the 80s? And it was answered by pushing whatever button on the phone. So one, two, or three. Why would they push the number on the phone? Because it would be shown on the screen by whoever's the independent adjudicator judging the contest to see what is right. The illegal clue horn from Password Plus and Super Password was used to note this, that they locked in. Doot doot. Whoever had the highest score in the round, kind of like Inquisition, won the game. They won a prize and moved on to the dueling decades. The champion was the first to play in what round one. If the contestants tied after the main round, each contestant entered their answer in a tie break question. What year did this come out? Whoever was closest won. In one case where both contestants gave the same answer, each player chose a letter on the GSN logo. Uh, numbers were chosen from 1 to 100, and whoever's number was higher moved on. In dueling decades, they had 30 seconds to get as many answers right as possible. This time, all the questions were from a single category. So it was like movies or TV or sports events or history. In round two, in season two, business was added to the mix. I did not know that. Um... Whoever won Dueling Decades won the game, played Final Decades, and had 45 seconds to answer six questions to win a jackpot. Each question came from one of the three categories, and categories stayed in the mix until selected. Each correct answer won a $25 gift certificate. Wow. The jackpot started with one prize and added a prize a day until one. One dry spell brought the jackpot to over $7,500 and had over a dozen prizes. Champions on Super Decade stayed on until they were defeated or until they won the jackpot. Neat. <clears throat> Trivia track. Five randomly selected contestants competed in a question and answer game using their telephone keypads to answer numerical answers. Two games were featured on each show, with the winner of each one receiving a prize. Each game was a 10 furlong race, with each player using their numbered keypad to select one of three answers on the screen. Players had 4.4 seconds to enter their answers, and here's how they scored. Question 1 was worth 1 furlong. Question 2 was worth 2 furlong. Question 3 was worth 3 furlong. Question 4 was worth 4. And every question thereafter was worth 5. Remember, first to 10 wins. 
The first player to reach the finish line won the race. In the event of a tie, a photo finish would be held, which is a tiebreaker game similar to one bid. A question would once again be read, after which the players had 9.4 seconds to answer. The one who came closest, without going over, wins the game. If they both go over, whoever's closest, so going over wins. The two winners, one from each of the races, goes on to the Triple Crown bonus round at the end of the show. In the Triple Crown, it was the first player to accumulate three crowns by answering questions. The two winners faced a game board with nine squares. The side squares, right, left, right, up, and down, contained one crown. Two of the corners had two crowns. Upper right-hand corner had a free crown, and the lower had to lose a turn. And they would essentially have to play a randomizer. You hit the zero, and it stops the randomizer like press your luck. If you don't hit the zero within four seconds, the randomization stopped automatically. When stopping, a player landed on any of the crown value spaces. The question with two possible answers were asked, and if you get the right answer, you get the crown. If the player landed on one free crown, you automatically get the crown without answering a good question. If you hit lose a turn, uh, you lost your turn. It goes on to the next player. If they're the first round, the center square is the triple crown square, which have activated triggers an automatic win if hit, which means it's not the first to get three crowns. It's the first to essentially hit triple crown by default. But if neither player did so by the time the bell rang, uh, the player with the most crowns was the winner. In the event of a tie, they would go to a sudden death showdown with the player who gave the least correct answer having the option to answer final question or force it. But blah, 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 blah. You know how game show tiebreakers work. You get it right, you win. If you're not, your opponent wins. Uh, the winner of the show received the grand prize. Will the runner-up receive the $25 gift certificate for each crown he or she accumulated? Because this was the Game Show Network Studios in Culver City, and this was still at a time when they were trying to figure out what it was. The prizes were very bland, shall we say. Now, what I liked about Trivia Track was that the show was hosted uh, by a few people. I remember Larry Anderson hosting it for a bit, but Mary Ann Curran was basically the host of most of these shows. When that happened, I believe, was also her. Decades was her. And at one point, I think even Peter Tamarkin hosted a few of these shows. But mostly it is Marianne Curran being the face of Game Show Network. Uh, Prime Games was essentially her... Oh, that's what they called it. Prime Games was the GSN Live Entertainment show that they were playing with, which kind of turned into Club AM, which kind of began... That was right. So I was right. Now, Marianne Curran is also a talented improvisational actress... Uh, she's also, I think, the wife of Bob Goen, who's also one of the acclaimed game show hosts of the 80s from Blackout and even Wheel of Fortune. Now, and what did that happen? It's essentially a back to forth quiz show where whoever is, quote unquote, in control gets there's like, I think, seven or eight trivia questions. that are, quote unquote, yellow cards. These cards are worth absolutely nothing, but you need to get them right to stay in the quote-unquote pole position. And they're all just like Super Decades questions. It, what decade did this happen? It's the 90s. What movie did this come in? <clears throat> and 
If you are correct, you stay in and you get the next question. If you're wrong, however, your opponent gets a chance to steal. And it, and usually what happens is it's an A, B, and a joke answer C, which means that they pick the B and then they get control of the board. Because they're in control, then they get to continue with the game when there's six questions, five questions, four questions, etc. But once they get to the red questions, which is at the end of the question stack, they get to be playing for a prize, which is it. That That's it. So you could basically play seven, get eight questions, get seven of them right, blow the eighth one and get it wrong, and then your opponent gets to play the bonus round, which I always never really liked. But that's what happens in the in the GSN originals when at the time. Uh, at also, I think there was like a co-host, and he was basically supposed to be like the laughing Ed McMahon sidekick. But I think it was just very loud, uh, and and got very angry a few times, I believe. It was an interesting concept, but it, it needed a bit of tweaking. But hey. They were trying to figure out a new way to do decades, and that's and that's okay, I guess. But what have we learned is essentially that these shows are all about call and win contests. Of course, I left out throat and neck for a real purpose, but more on that. If that episode is airing before or after this one, I don't know. What have we learned about Game Show Network originals that are the phone games is... Game Show Network was always trying to be ahead of the curve, and when it came time to the 90s, the call and win contest on the phone was still very trivial. An interactive game show where the game show was taking place live in real time was such a modern, ahead-of-the-curve entertainment thing that would end up showing up in things that we see on Twitch to this day. So there is lots of ways to get excited about with Game Show Network when it came to coming up with these interesting call and win shows and originals that were very cheap, but very interesting to watch. For me personally, I think the show is always about that interactivity, and that was one of the biggest strengths of Game Show Network at its early days in the 90s to its interactive play online features of the 2000s, all the way to the oodles, quote-unquote, games of like the two, late 2000s to now where it's basically selling casino games. And it's not really what it is today. It's not really game shows. It's just casino apps. I'm sure someone's playing them. I just don't know anybody who is. But that's it with the interactive games. Boy, wasn't that thrilling. Boring, mind you, but thrilling nonetheless. Uh, they're still kind of doing stuff here and there in game show land. Uh, and the last game show we're talking about tonight is one that is, I, I would say, a guilty pleasure of mine uh, because it's one that not a lot of people really liked, but I, it's one I really enjoyed. And if you're a fan of MXC, Most Stream Elimination Challenge, you'll be very excited to find out about this show. This is Burt Ludden's Love Buffet. This next one is one of the more interesting Game Show Network originals. So let's put you into a timeline here. We are in the late 90s. And a lot of people were really excited about the end of the Larry Sanders show. 
Larry Sanders was this HBO original with Gary Shandling playing Larry Sanders, a talk show host. What gave it this really cool idea was that there was this talk show being made and it had the camera look of a like a late night tonight show show with Dave Letterman or Jay Leno. But then there will be interstitial behind the scenes green rooms or during commercial breaks to see the interaction with the celebrities and Gary Shandling's character. And just the sort of cool single camera views that we would kind of see in later shows like Curb Your Enthusiasm. So they took that concept of a fake character being a host of a thing and made Burt Ludden's Love Buffet. Uh, the announcer was Charlie O'Donnell, who at the time was doing Wheel of Fortune, and it was hosted by, you guessed it, Burt Ludden, who is played by actor John Cervenka, who, if you don't know, uh, he is in Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. He was the voice of Guy LaDouche and Captain Tennille on MXC. The, here we go, that guy. That was John Cervenka. He was also an announcer on Love Connection in the last run in the 90s. And additionally, he was also a contestant on the Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. And I believe that episode just aired like last, a few months ago. So that's very fun. He is famous for also being a member of the Groundlings comedy troupe in Los Angeles. And one of the nicest people you'll ever actually meet. So he got to play uh, Burt Ludden. And Burt Ludden's character was that of, I would say, a, a supposed to be a comedian host. But like he's still doing game show host antics. So it was the, uh, hey, how's it going? Welcome to Burt Ludden Buffet kind of thing. Uh, so it is a real game show that was taking place, but there was also, uh, comedy jokes. There was a big, like at the start of every episode is the following program is a real game show featuring contest, real contestants playing for real prizes, but the host is fictional. Uh, the one thing I remember was the uh, national interstitial, a game of truth and a host of fiction with the Burt Ludden character. So, the premise of Burt Ludden's Love Buffet was it's basically a newlywed game, but uh, what looks like a B-tier Las Vegas love hotel kind of thing, which I thought was very clever and funny at the same time because it had that Vegas-style camp. Uh, to me, Berlin's Love Buffet was just pure camp, and I always kind of enjoyed watching it <coughs> for that regard. Uh, in round one, the couples got questions like newlywed game. They're backstage. They can't hear what you're saying. If you match with them, you get a heart, which is a point. And then uh, later rounds, they would all get the same questions, but the halves alternative with two hearts in round two, three in round three. And the final round being six, which means a bullshit catch-up round. The couple with the most hearts out of a possible 12, because those are just four questions, won the game, got a prize that was somewhere between $500 and $750. I don't care what the prize was. It could be a vacuum cleaner for all I give a shit about. And the right to advance to the bonus buffet. All three couples had drawn balls with numbers inserted in them before taping of the show in the event of a tie score ties were broken by giving the game to the couple with the highest number 
So when it gets to the bonus buffet, which is the bonus round, travel packages were the prizes. The winning couple of the three uh, would play for by selecting one of five buffet serving trays. So they open up the dinner thing and reveal uh, the trays displayed by Crystal actress Tiffany Richardson. I never knew that. The show's model. The destination was on the lid of the tray. Crystal then read out the description of the travel package. Always fucked it up. Uh, then the couple, separated by a partition, had their left hand with boxer shorts, right hand a pair of women's panties, and they would read a statement about a behavior or habit, and each half of the couple would hold up the item to which they thought the statement applied to the man or the woman. As Lund himself phrased it, if it applies to man, pull up the boxers. If it applies to woman, pull up her panties. The couple won the travel package if they match at least seven of the ten statements. If they they missed whenever they match six or fewer of the ten statements, and then they only won the prize they had won for winning the game, they were not entitled to any extra prize rewards. There were three couples every episode, no returning champions. Yeah, obviously. Um, so the bonus buffet around was like something I think that was on Buzz, that bzz, no game show. But I, I I always thought that that was like a broken format when you have to do the his or her situation. Now they did that exact game on uh, the about last night, the HBO remake of Tattletales with Steph Curry, uh, where they had two drinks and one is for so and so and the other is for so and so. If it applies to the guy, you drink this, you drink. They had this exact game. Uh, which I thought was cute. So it's two very simplistic relationship challenge games that have been played before to death. The newlywed game, what would your husband say is this? And then the, which one is more likely to uh, put out a fire? The You or the, and that's okay, but you could always cheat and just say guy. Guy, 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 and win the show. Even if it's not real. <laughs> uh... I thought that was always a, a fun little show. Now, when they cut to commercial, because this is like a quick Nulima game, there's, there's only four questions in this game, that means that you have about four or five minutes of other things, and that becomes the quote-unquote scripted part of the show. So Bert is in there, which is John going like, well, you are going on to the bonus buffet. We'll see where you're going right after this. Goes backstage, sits in the chair, uh, I, I forgot my wife's birthday today. Uh, and that's how it ends up going. While the contestants were authentically playing the games, Burt Lund's Buffet was also a situation comedy. Was The comedic theme was supposedly one went on behind the scenes. There were outrageous situations, and they were all deliberately kept separate from the gameplay because obviously you can't fuck up with the game. Unfortunately... Game shows proved not to be a rich of potential comedic mind as talk shows had become, especially on dedicated basic cable network, opposed to first-run syndication or major non-cable television networks. Berlin's Buffet was canceled in 2001 after two generally low-rated seasons. I thought it was just a cute little show. Uh, some contestants are briefed as to some areas of question prior to taping. Now, I, I like also because... If you look at like the, because there's rarely, I don't think you can really find an episode of Berlin's Love Buffet on YouTube. I think that it's still one on Daily Motion. But if you see promos on YouTube, at the time, 
Bert Ludden was like this dweeby kind of game show host looking guy. But he is one to one of what Ken Jennings on Jeopardy looks like today. And I thought that was always just a clever little futuristic look at the future. So for me, I thought Bert Ludden's Olympic was an easy peasy game show, but very dull in its game format and very dull in its situation comedy. I think there is potential for something like this to exist. But the last time I saw something similar was, uh, what was that British show? Um, Rob Brydon's Annually Retentive. Uh, so it, it basically, Bertland's Love Buffet was Rob Brydon's Annually Retentive, which happened in 2006, a few years later. And on that show, which is not Game Show Network original and not even a game show, there is this fake panel quiz game being played called Annually Retentive about historical events. And it, they had Dominic Diamond on one side and they had Dave Gorman and all these sorts of these like comedians playing a real panel show, but they barely show it because it's all what's happening behind the scenes, which is a sitcom. The agent's pissed, the wife is pissed, all sorts of ways that that goes on. Uh, I always think there's always a potential for that, but I, I, I think you have to be really, it, it's, to me, that's probably one of the biggest challenges you could ever do in terms of a television show is skirt the line between fantasy and reality and have a scripted host who's fake and a character while having an actual game show take place that has no say in what's been going on in the sitcom behind the scenes. I, I think the closest that we've come to that was Wipeout. The, the John Henson or John Cena versions, because while there was a physical challenge taking place and they're doing the, the jumps and they wipe out, there's like a mini stunt playing on in the behind the green screen with the Johns where it's like, oh, we're doing this. And they're rewinding videos or fast forwarding videos or playing along with the game show itself. I think that's the only way you could kind of do it. But Bert Lund's Love Buffet was a nice level of camp Wrong time period, wrong time to do it. Can it be done again today? I don't know. I hate bullshit tiebreakers. But hey, you know, there was a show called MXC and that went on to be a success, so. Oh well, now that's it. Did it make any sense whatsoever? No. Will I keep watching it if I ever find episodes? Yes. And that is kind of, the appeal, I think, for a lot of these shows. A lot of the talking points today are shows that were very forgettable, to say the least. And for, for some reasons, it's just because they were too outdated. Others, it was just a sign of the times. And others, it's not the first thing you think of when it comes to a game show. But there's always these little nooks and crannies when it comes to a game show, and it's one's worth exploring that's kind of why i've wanted to do this show for so long is that for me every game show could be somebody's first game show and in many ways it could be a lot of fun you never really know a lot of times when it comes to the game show fandom it's very too quick to snark and be negative and mean-spirited when it comes to a show and its failures however when it comes down to it, what I enjoy most is the takeaways. What is that one core mechanic 
of a game that makes it exciting. Maybe it's Steampunk's ability to try and capitalize on a trend or common knowledge, trying to have a different end game than just what is usual. Super decades with phone calls and trying to win prizes. And you have Birdland's Love Buffet trying its hardest to try and be an uh, extended cable version of uh, Gary Shandling show. No, not Gary Shandling show. Uh, Larry Sanders show. Larry Larry Sanders show. So that that is going to conclude this week's version of the GSN update. Don't worry, we still have plenty more to talk about. Ah, ha, ha. Anyway, we'll see you again next time for some game shows, I suppose. Good night, big smooch. Mwah.